Um, so my name is Jo Cliff, I'm from a company called Platypus Research um, and we're basically an independent company, I'm the managing director and we do research specifically in the child and youth family market for um, media sector and also for other brands as well across the commercial sector. Um, so what we're going to take you through today is um, a, a presentation around the theme of all change um, and we're using the theme of Scooby-Doo to kick things off with. Um, obviously Scooby-Doo's been around a long time um, but we wanted to sort of take that as, as a kind of one of the themes to, to look at as we go through. Um, so basically um, what I wanted to sort of start off with is the fact that yeah okay things seem massively different um, these days um, but also there's a lot of things and it appears to us as we go and see kids in school in their ha in their homes um, and we chat to them that actually there's a lot of things that are still the same so you enter the playground they're still skipping ropes you go and look at the bookshelves Roald Dahl Enid Blyton still on the bookshelves um, so there's still a lot of things that remain the same even in this world where there's an awful lot of changes from perhaps sort of 10 20 years ago so we wanted to look really in, in more detail and, and ask some questions about that and, and help you to understand what is and isn't changing in terms of content appeal amongst kids um, and give you a really up-to-date picture on, on their favourite content at the minute um, and just to come up with some themes really on what even in this modern day world as things are changing the themes that are remaining the same and the themes that are actually changing as technology and as our culture changes as well. So what we did was um, different types of research. So at Platypus, um, we do both qualitative and quantitative research. So we actually went into children's homes and spoke to them face to face. Um, children aged 6 to 12, we actually looked at their bookshelves, we looked at their iPads, we looked in their phones, um, and they spoke to us about that. And we also got them to do um, some work on um, an app for us, just to show day by day the kinds of media that they're exposed to and that they like to use. Um, but to top all that off we also wanted to get some facts and figures for you because it's fine us saying well this is how it is now and this is what it used to be like but we wanted to really prove to you using numbers and statistics how things have changed to give you that kind of concrete evidence as to what the picture is now so we um, partnered up with Childwise and James is going to take you through some of the findings that they have from their longitudinal reports that they do with really robust numbers 2,400 children per wave that they have um, of children aged 5 to 16 so there's some great kind of stats from from James coming up um, and on top of that just to kind of add to the insight and the analysis we spoke to some experts in this area so we've got some an analysis from Adam Galpin who's a media psychologist at Salford University who looks into this stuff all the time and is able to kind of provide insight on top and Rachel Laws who's one of the uh, most respected semioticians in the UK um, so she looks at things from a cultural perspective rather than from people outwards it's outwards inwards I'll just hand you over to James, who's going to take you through some, some of the stats first. We do a couple of reports. This is the big one, you probably know, Childwise Monitor. It's been going for 20 years, and um, we sell this to all sorts of people, media buying agencies, government departments, companies, charities. And um, each year, the way we promote it as a business is PR, of course. We look at it and think, you know, what's this new story? And it, it works very well. I did three years ago, we got two-thirds of a page in The Guardian. I couldn't believe it. And the BBC often cover it. So it's, it's great to PR. But we always have a bit of trepidation because um, the media always pick on one story, and it is screen time, and it's shock horror probe. Kids are spending six and a half hours a day looking at a screen. And so we have to be very careful because every time we launch it... Um, 
they always want to run the same story. And as you know, it's not a shock horror folk story. All it is about is that um, kids are using um, their mobile phones, their tablets, their computers, all at the same time. So it's not six and a half hours of their day. It's probably only three hours of their day, but they're watching television, they're texting people, they're going on the app for the television program. So it, it is just a mixture of these different devices. And what's new about the landscape, to state the obvious, is that we need to think about mobile phones, we need to think about uh, tablets, and, we, and to a lesser extent, laptops. Now, I've cheated with this chart a bit because the green at the bottom is reading, and that's not people not reading on Kindle or their iPad is just reading and I just thought I'd put that in because what this shows is TV has held up very well um, TV the death of TV is much exaggerated over uh, since 1995 it's gone from um, three hours a day to 2.3 so TV is still enormously important in, in kids lives both in terms of they're, active, they're, they're watching it in terms of their time, but also the influence it has on them. So don't write off TV, um, even though obviously the internet is, has been growing fast. Uh, the green line, as I said, cheated, is just reading, because that's the other thing that I wanted to say today, because I know there are people, uh, uh, writers of books and publishers here as well, is that reading also has stood up quite well. Um, uh, secondary to TV, but it's still there and it's not gone down significantly. And the nice thing about TV and reading, of course, is that content makes a difference. Good authors, good programs really do impact on kids reading and watching TV. Now, we all know that, um, that what has happened with children's TV is, be is become digitalised. Basically, the output has moved across more channels. Now, 20% uh, of kids um, watch over 19 channels compared to four in 1995. So that's what's happened. I think it's a good thing. You probably think it's a good thing because it means that kids can seek out content that's for them. It's, it's much more varied. The, the, the other big thing that I, that I think we all need to um, think about is the growth of YouTube. YouTube really now over half of kids watch TV every week and content on YouTube. Now the implications for that are short films v long form content, uh, what I call binge watching, where people are watching series, the box set thing, it's the same for kids as, as adults, um, and also uh, self-creation, so it's vloggings, vloggers, you know, people, kids making their own materials, but also following people that they can relate to. So. I think it, with people talk about digital natives, that is definitely true. That when you look at this age group, they've never known anything except the internet. One of the things that's happened over the last, well, only over the last 18 months, a big surprise was how tablets are taken off with preschools. So really, they, they are digital natives. When you've got uh, children of two years old working their parents' tablets. so. Um, we live in a digital age. I think when we look back, if you ask kids in five, five years' time, in the same way as kids now can't imagine a time when there wasn't the internet, I think kids in five years' time would say, what do you mean? 
you, you were out in, in the street and you couldn't get broadband. What, you had to pay for it? You know, and this, this is the thing is, it, and, and that's what's interesting about wearables, the, the phone and the eyes and the earpiece, is that will allow kids to access the internet in all sorts of other places. So that's where the growth will come in screen time, I suspect, will go up because they'll be able to access content wherever they are. Okay, so lots of numbers. We're going to look into the detail now as to kind of why these things are, are actually happening, what does it mean, and what we can learn from it for the future. Um, so we, we've seen that obviously there is a lot of screen time, but there's also a lot of non-screen time as well for kids. And um, we definitely see that kids are still kind of playing physically in the physical world. So some of the kind of feedback we were getting back from the apps, they're, they're roller skating, they're going to the park, they're playing on the swings, they're skipping, etc. So they're still doing all of that stuff. And it's really important to think back to originally what that's, that kind of physical play gave them. It's because children play is the work of children. And if we learn from those kind of things that they explore and that they sort of choose to do out of free choice and what they get from that, that can really help us when we're thinking about the content and the different media choices that they make um, and how we can sh shape that. So some of the things that they get from playing, um, one of the big things, and this is a really important thing for kids, that they like to choose things that to do that they understand and that fits into their world. So if they're going through a particular transitional stage, for example, it might be an eight-year-old girl that suddenly hormones have started to kick in and they've started to sort of think about different types of um, ways of engaging with their friends, etc., then that's a change. She's not used to being feeling like that. So she will seek out ways of trying to deal with it. And that impacts on the TV programs that she watches. It impacts on the way she, she plays with friends. Um, it impacts on everything that she seeks to engage with and understand in the world. Other aspects of play include mastery. Again, this is a really key thing that, that children um, engage with and, and really kind of are driven by. That ability to, um, to learn and to kind of self, sort of creatively um, find their own way in the world, but challenge themselves and be able to um, feel successful. It builds their self-esteem and it's a really important part of childhood and, and the way that they learn. And this we can see running through lots of different elements of play. For example, climbing a tree and the ability to be able to climb higher and higher. The ability to, my daughter's just learned how to do cartwheels and she will not stop doing cartwheels and she's starting off not being able to. And now she can and she's absolutely thrilled with herself. But that core need to be able to master things and self-esteem can then we can learn from that and think about how we can apply that into um, into media and there's lots of other elements so example fantasy versus reality and how they understand the world and communicate with the, um, their own feelings about the world they come through with, with kind of pretend play and fantasy and that sort of thing um, social needs as well, the, the uh, turn-taking, for example, and being able to um, make friends, that comes through from play. Um, attention span, they're able to focus on things better if they've chosen the activities that they want to do themselves. So all these things are really important for their cognitive development, but it kind of comes from the things they choose to do as well. So physical play and books are still key, we've seen from uh, James's charts. And when we were looking on the um, bookshelves, there's a huge variety of books. They've got fiction books and they've got non-fiction books. And again, we've got these real modern day authors such as um, David Walliams sitting right next to the Roald Dahl books. And they speak equally as positively about those types of books. And it, it's not surprising really, because what they get from reading, um, if, the, if the narrative fits with, with their needs at that particular time, 
it doesn't matter how old that book is, it's that story and the power of that story and, and how it connects with children that works. So there's certain narratives that appeal in particular and they have that element of humour in them. So if you look at the different types of books over time, the Roald Dahl ones as an example, humour is a strong core element in that. Weirdness, so the fantastical, there's something that's different about them and that children can kind of imagine from that. Fantasy, and also the characters that are in that book. And that doesn't necessarily... Uh, uh, for the younger children, doesn't necessarily have to be characters that are their age, but characters that they can relate to and understand from their world. So we've seen from the kind of physical world and, and, and from books, the traditional forms of play and the traditional forms of entertainment are still very much here. However, as, we've, um, as we see all the way sort of through the research that we do, uh, children's physical play is becoming more structured and it's becoming more limited because of a safety aspect from parents, because of the structured activities and the focus on education, they're not as able to have that free play as they once were able to. It's very much kind of very adult-focused and adult-driven. So let's go into gaming now, and let's think about play in the digital world. And this is something that has taken off massively. And when we start thinking about how limited physical play is becoming and the lack of freedom, then it's actually not surprising that children have taken this up in the way that they have. Um, and we see in, in all the households that we visited, and you can see this in the figures as well, that gaming's taken up off massively, particularly as tablets and the, um, the kind of, obviously the gaming, um, the gaming sector has risen so much. Um, and the availability of games for both boys and girls has increased, and that's kind of across both boys and girls um, in terms of appeal. And what they're getting from gaming with some of the, the sort of games that they choose to play on and the, the um, apps that they are uh, choosing, it's very much the, the feeling of being able to do something, as they can in the physical world, but being able to do something freely and without limits almost. So you can jump, but on a game, you can jump as high as you like. You can run faster on a game. You can all of these things that you know. It's that one of the boys we were talking to said it, it, it's, you can do things in a much more wicked way than you can in the physical world. So they are able to be the characters they've always wanted to be, or create their very own characters. So there's that creativity coming through that we've seen. That's a key need for children. So there's freedom and fantasy that they get from gaming. There's self-expression and this mastery coming through again. So this feeling that it's, if it's something they're interested in or something that they want to know about, more about, then they have the ability to, to kind of choose to be able to do that. Um, and a great example of, of showing you um, almost a, a, um, a comparison to the physical world, but digitally, is Minecraft. And we hear so much about Minecraft and it's an unbelievable phenomenon um, and the reason for that is because children are able to fulfill all those needs from the physical world more or less but in within this game so with boys and girls do talk about it differently and I'm, I am generalizing because some girls would talk about it in the same way some boys would and vice versa but the, the children that we spoke to the boys were very much it was about um, very much kind of creating um, creating kind of uh, battles and trying to reach the end of the world and, and kind of really sort of pushing themselves. Whereas the girls, it was very much about um, building a world and building houses for their parents and having pets, etc. So um, Minecraft is a really key one that we can sort of take and, and learn from in terms of what's uh, in the physical world. But TV viewing is a key area, I think, where um, things are staying the same. 
So we've, we've taken from, obviously, you might think that, okay, they can play in the, the digital world now, they've got this freedom, they can do everything they want, so does that mean TV's dead? Well, we've seen from the figures it's definitely not dead. It's still really important. And they're still watching the same things they watched 50 years ago. So cartoons, we've from the Childwise reports, for nine out of the last 10 years, cartoons have remained the most popular category. And that's because they tap into these key needs of humour, they tap into this fantasy world. And the narratives, again, as we've seen with books, still stand the test of time. A good story is a good story throughout those years and, and, and fits with, with what kids want to see and, and their needs. Um, so these cartoons were coming up uh, time and time again. Um, and we've seen over the last 10 years, they've been, they've been there and they've been popular. We have seen a slight change in terms of live action shows. So some of the older girls are definitely watching these live action shows. And these were the ones that are different now compared to what they were 10 years ago. Probably driven because of the characters growing older from the older shows, for example, from That's So Raven. But also because for older children, it becomes more important that they keep up with the trends. That content mirrors what's happening in modern day life. Younger children aren't as bothered about trends, so that's why these kind of evergreen cartoons can, can kind of still, still stay popular. But these particular ones need to stay current, they need to stay up to date, and they need to be meeting those kind of needs in terms of them learning about relationships, that sort of thing. So again, with TV, there's lots of things that TV is tapping into and tapping into the, in the same way that it always has done. And it's very much about thinking about those aspects of needs that children have when creating TV content. And finally, I want to skip onto YouTube because I think obviously this is where we are really seeing the biggest area of change. And a lot of, in particular, the sort of eight pluses, but it does kind of extend downwards as well, really using YouTube as a way of. Um, their own self-directed learning. And when I say about learning, I'm not talking about, you know, they're looking up science experiments or looking at how to do maths. It's things that they're interested in in the everyday world that they, it's, that they need to know about to develop. They're, they're very much seeking out things that they, they're doing in their own world, in their own lives, such as Minecraft. And they're wanting to learn for themselves. They're genuinely interested. And if you speak to teachers, they say how interested kids are. They're hungry for knowledge. But they're seeking it out themselves now. They're able to find out more. And they're able to drive that further and further to fit with their own needs and what they're, they're interested in. And their own capabilities as well. So it's self-driven. So really, we've seen this growing preference for this sit-forward entertainment, where TV is very much to sit back, and there's still a need for that. But children are more and more pushing for this sit-forward entertainment where they're taking control. And this is all about almost kind of, if you think from the physical world and the limited um, freedom that they now have in the physical world, they now have this digital world where that freedom is available to them and it's getting more and more and more. And so that's a really, really interesting trend and a really interesting theme. But I think it still links back to the fact that we need to really go back to, the, to basics and back to traditional play to understand how in the digital world we can make those things work better for them, better for the kids. So things like the Let's Plays are working really, really well because obviously it's something that they know about and it's allowing them that mastery to get to the next level and they're interested in seeing other children their age playing those sorts of things and that is a key for content for kids. They like to see other children their age making the content, involved in the content, doing the content and that's so um, for the unpacking videos on YouTube that they're watching as well. I don't know if any of you have seen those. Unpacking the um, Kinder Eggs. So they will watch, watch a child opening Kinder Eggs. And, and, and there's, that's a hugely interesting phenomenon because of the things that it tells us about kids. And there's been psychologists reporting on this saying that you know, they like to see it because there's kids involved. They genuinely like to see kids opening presents anyway. And it's like a 21st century lucky bag. 
So it's that whole feeling of that surprise element. Kids love surprises, and even though it's not them getting the surprise, they still get that same feeling of, um, of, of pleasure from watching that. And the vloggers also give them that kind of, especially for the older ones, it's, again, it's that learning. It's like the older sister role, okay, what are they telling me that I should be wearing right now? What should I be saying to my friends right now? It's all that kind of learning role from, from, from the vloggers that they kind of aspire to and, and want to be like. So these are almost the characters of the future, really, for, for the older, older girls in particular. And I think the key thing to think about in terms, in terms of conclusions is, yes, things have very much stayed the same, and we can learn from that in certain ways, but they're also moving on, and it's evolving through what children want and need. So we need to continually understand children's preferences from that reason. And, but we also need to involve children much more as the content makers, because they're being empowered to be able to do that and want the freedom to be able to do that. So I think that's kind of the key thing for the way forward, is kind of get the, the kids involved even more.